This is Roof English Radio with Darenata, daily English language radio from Iceland's national broadcaster, Roof. This is Roof English and I'm Darren Adam. Hello, back again at the University of Iceland Research Centre in East Iceland. I'm back once again with Una Berner Karlsdottir. Last time we spoke, Una was about the history of the reindeer in Iceland, which is a, a, a research area that you've been very involved in. I want to talk about another couple of areas of research of interest here at the research centre. I want to start with the connections between society and the highlands in East Iceland. Now, flying here into Eilstadir from Reykjavik earlier today, you can't miss <laughs> that physical connection between the highlands and the urban areas here because you fly directly over it. What prompted this research, firstly? Maybe it was, as you say, the, the, the closeness of this vast uh, highland plateau that's in our backyard, mm. so to mm. speak here in the east and and the settlement in east iceland you always have to cross some deserted area if mm. not a, a kind of a highland like when you drive to the north yes. or or when you f- drive over the big high heaths route one from akureyri yeah, to ilstad yeah. cuts very yeah. deep into the interior of the country doesn't right. it right it's always you, you cannot come or leave east iceland ex- on, on a, in a car except driving a highland road yes but on the other hand i also had done a research on the debate on hydroelectric power projects so mm. i was very well into the debate on the karanuka hydropower plant here in east iceland mm. before i came here mm-hmm. And that's a large, huge enterprise, and it's up in the heart of the East Iceland. So I knew very well that part of the national discourse Mm. before I came here. But then I came here, and when I got to know the society here, I realized how connected the highland was into cultural memory and cultural discussion and collective mm-hmm. memory and, and from different sides, which did interest me. And there are also sources, both written and oral history, that woke my interest and yes. I started to look into. And so those connections, do they still exist? Because you could live here in Eilstadia and never leave the town. It has everything that you would ever need. And in that sense, it's a very modern, urban society but as we say as we sit here in your office you can see the highlands not very far away at all so what is the what's the state of that connection between urban society and the highlands in east iceland now would you say i think it would work both ways as you say some people do go there very often and mm. know it very well back and forth also from from tradition of maybe living in the countryside and in the periphery or the closer in the valleys down under the mm-hmm. highland plateau and farmers they know the area well they go there gather their sheep etc yes. so so they people who live in the countryside they have this connection with the highland that maybe people who live come from other parts of Iceland and live here in the, in the settled area in the towns and villages have not unless they, they just go for it and and make it their experience but i agree with you there are also there is also a lot of people in east iceland who are not familiar with the highland but i know that for example we have this uh, national park here vatnajökull garden and they are doing a lot of educational mm 
programs and stuff. So it's a procedure, and I know, but I know that people, there is a discussion if the younger people are introduced to the Highland as the older generations were. It is one of, now that's a question I find interesting also as a researcher here. That's a question you're trying to answer then? It would be interesting to do a survey and, and find out statistics about how common it is that people have actually gone up to yes. places like Snæfell, etc., to mention yeah. something. Yes. And there's a, an ongoing debate, of course, about tourism in Iceland, and there is that dilemma, isn't there? If somebody wants to come to a country like Iceland because they've been sold the idea of solitude and they've been sold the idea that they'll be the only person around and they turn up and there are 200 other people who've also had the same idea, then it's it's not the experience that they thought they were going to have. That's a difficult balance to strike, isn't it? It is here in East Iceland, as in, in, in the other parts of, of yeah. the country, but we still have so much space here that, except in few popular places here, there there is a, it's so easy to find, find a vast area mm. for mm. To, to be in peace and just doing your things. Another area of research here at the University Research Centre is concerns crime and punishment in the Mulathing area here in East Iceland and the history of that. And I, I guess maybe some of that ties in with the difference between the urban lifestyle and, and maybe older traditional ways of dealing with things in the highlands. What are you learning? What are you researching as far as crime and punishment is concerned? The reason I started that is because crime and punishment... It, it shows us, it tells us something about society in earlier days. Mm. That was what interested me to see how life situation for people was. What kind of crimes did people commit if, mm-hmm. if it was a crime, if it was proved, etc. And how was that between men and women and group of age and wealth and who were the most common victims of the judiciary system mm-hmm. and it, it's a question of power and not having a power and all that. And my idea is, is try to map the society through looking into the documents of convictions or, or accusations and, and convictions and how yeah. hard the conviction system was and when it changed also into maybe a more humanitarian. What is the quality of the documents that you are working with? How good are the records? I think you're going back to the 19th century. Mm. What is the quality of the record keeping from that time? It is relatively good, which is why it is possible to to do this. The so-called Sislumen and Trepstura, the the local governments at that time, everything everything had to be documented, written down. So and there were also those meetings and not only about crimes and petty crimes and bigger crimes, but also about society and issues Mm. that came up every year. So there was a lot of documents. They are hard to read. One has to train to read them, but we are we historians get help from the archives and it's quite early stages for the research, but you're looking partly, as I understand it, to see if there's, a, for example, differences in terms of sex, if men and women were treated differently. Has anything interesting struck you yet from the early research? What I've seen already by just by, by statistic, I worked out of the documents I, uh, I already had worked through, is that men were by far the majority of those... Mm convicted or committing crimes and 
much of the crime is is crime in the eyes of the church. Moral crimes. Mor- moral crimes, yeah, like yeah. Uh, having child outside of marriage okay. and, and things like that. So human behavior is criminalized. Yes. So and that's who, interesting. And then that yeah. changes during the period that I go. Who gets punished then if illegitimacy is as a crime? Who's the criminal? Both sides are, but it, it can also be hard to prove. But yes. they try to, paternity is hard to prove. Men, yes. men often deny, but that can also be hard to deny if... Yeah. So, and the, the punishment was harsh in those days. It could be life sentence or even death. So it's, it were cruel times. And that also changes in the 19th century into more humane way, but very slowly. But it also sees, shows us how vulnerable people were in their lives towards everything. And how interesting as well to be able to look at things which were crimes, which would just be unimaginable as crimes now, such as having a child outside of... I mean, even the, even the phrase, a child outside of wedlock, sounds archaic and old-fashioned, doesn't it? Mm. And you're able to trace attitudes, I guess, societal attitudes changing as well. Yes, and that's part of my research, to yeah. see when that comes in and how what that changes. And it also reminds us that, that the, the fight for... Human rights mm. isn't mm. something obvi- obvious. It doesn't happen by itself. We need people to fight for human rights. Otherwise, yes. the world is a cruel place. You know, Iceland is famously a very liberal country in very many ways. It's in the top five of the lists that you'd want to be in. Uh, an example would be LGBT plus rights. Iceland is thought of as a very liberal country. There are some issues at the moment, of course, and, and, and well-rehearsed conversations in that regard. Did anything in your research point to a changing of attitude as regards the acceptance of LGBT plus people? It's too early in the history. Nobody would have admitted it to be one in those days. And, and that tells you what? Scared to or even not knowing, at least never showing. But what were the laws around that? I mean, were there specific bans? I didn't come across any case, criminal case, evolving around this issue. There are so many suppressed things. We know that they must have been suppressed, so we don't find them in documents yeah, yeah, or maybe yeah. not even in people's behaviours. So they are kind of, as such, lost mm. in history. You're looking at crime and punishment in a particular area of mm. Iceland. Are you surprised by how apparently liberal Iceland has become relatively quickly over the space of a couple of centuries. The development in Iceland has been in accordance with our neighbouring countries. We have taken from the other Nordic countries Mm. in the Western world. And in fact, most of the reforms that came gradually to Iceland came from Mm. Denmark. It helped us, the the hum, every progress in human rights, etc., and more humane attitudes came Mm -hmm. from Denmark, and then we took them up. So, despite the desire to be independent from Denmark, those values did chime. They 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 were the same. They did change, and that was also that also has a historical context. The the independence debate. It was after this, uh, for example, that most of the period I'm looking into, that was in the late 19th century that, that and early 20th century, that mm-hmm. area of independence battle. There is a lot to research, and as I say, with those two areas of research, the connection between, I guess, urban society in the highlands and, and crime and punishment, you're still 
midway through, would you say, the research phase? There, okay. there are always new issues to look at, and also this takes time. This yeah, is, yeah, say, yeah. let's say, five or seven years uh, research plan. Well, I'm delighted that you've taken some time to speak to me today. Very grateful. Thank you very much. Unur Berner Karlsdottir at the University of Iceland Research Centre here in East Iceland. It's Ruv English, I'm Darren Adam, and you can get in touch anytime. We are English at ruv.is. There is more from Ruv English with all the news from Iceland in English at ruv.is slash English. Ruv English Radio is a daily English language radio from Iceland's national broadcaster, Ruv.